The views and opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily reflect that of the staff and management of Good Karma Brands, but are the sole responsibility of the hosts and guests of this particular show. America may have many, many days, but they will be full of trouble. There will be no rest. There will be no tranquility in this country. Until a nation comes to turn with our problems. Bringing you social and political commentary from his mouth to your ears. Breaking down the issues which matter to you. You are not put here to be a white man's footstool. You are put here to represent the very best in God's world. Legendary civil rights icon, the Reverend Jesse Jackson in the studio. Reverend Jackson, how are you? Mr. Reverend, good morning on this chilly Milwaukee morning. And I am pleased to have one of the founding members of the Black Panther Party, Chairman Bobby Seale. Mr. Chairman, how are you this morning? Good morning. I'm doing just fine. Thank you. From Mr. Eric Holder. Mr. Holder, so good to see you. How are you? Well, I'm fine, man. How you been? It's been a long time. Haven't seen you for a while. The Dr. Cornell West. Dr. West, how are you, sir? My dear brother, you're so kind. You're so generous. So, man, but I salute you and the work that you were doing there. I'm doing a magnificent job there, Wisconsin. Stream live on 1017thetruth.com. Call in with your questions or comments. 833-212-1017. Join us on social media at 1017thetruth. It may not be what you expect to hear, but I will definitely give you what you need to know. Are you ready for the truth? I want the truth you can't handle the truth now live from the american family insurance studio at the avenue in the heart of downtown milwaukee here is sherwin hughes good morning welcome to the program thursday march 9 2023 i want to make this abundantly clear if you're black in this country it's very easy to discriminate against you It's illegal in a lot of respects. Can't deny us access and jobs and banks have to lend to us and all that other stuff. We got laws to try and catch those individuals who are being malicious because of the color of our skin and our heritage, etc. But we can be discriminated against literally everywhere, and that's an absolute in this country. Because we cannot separate ourselves from the actual foundation of this nation that did separate and classify people based upon a number of things. And we still do that. Now, I I think things are getting better, but as things get better, where discrimination still exists, it, it glows even brighter in a world and in a country that is trying to advance. Okay. That being said, there is still a, a very profound type of discrimination that exists in this country And it's so bad and it's so robust, it's getting African-Americans to think about other forms of of government, because in this form of government, discrimination against us is built into it. We have racism in the institutions. And so maybe people are thinking black people in particular. And I got a survey here that adds a little bit more credibility to what I'm saying. Maybe we need to do away with this system of capitalism in the United States, because there's a lot of racism in capitalism. Capitalism prefers the few over the many. Everybody can't be rich in a capitalist system. You're a worker. You can get paid a wage. That wage can be good. But because that's what the system is, you have the workers and the laborers, you have the managers and you have the owners. They are never going to be equal. 
one has got to take something from the other. The managers who are acting on behalf of the owners are essentially the overseers, making sure that labor is being productive, making sure it doesn't get too unruly, negotiating with them so they don't strike and shut down operations. So then you, you throw them some benefits, you throw them a little more time off, you throw them a little bit of a raise, and that oftentimes is how management has to mitigate this these dichotomies between the laborers and the owners who just want to make profit. They are profit-motivated either for themselves, their shareholders, or potentially both. But within that system, how do you determine who gets paid less? You can use race. You can use gender. You can use sexual orientation. So all of that is built into capitalism where you have the owner. You got somebody in the middle who's trying to be the, the common ground between the owners and the labor, and you have the labor. It really doesn't work unless you have all three of those parts moving in unison. But we can see at each and every level where race and racism and discrimination can play a role. And so maybe it's the capitalist system, right? So I got a study here that says black Americans view capitalism more negatively than positively, but express hope in black businesses. Let's be clear about that. We as black folks, we are capitalists, but I think how we arrived at it is deceptive and quite sinister. How often do you hear black folks or even white people or whatever race support black businesses? Oh, they're a black owned business. Even DoorDash for a while in the days following the murder of George Floyd had a little separate section on the app. Y'all remember that? These are black owned restaurants. We talk about it here. We got a program going on. The black business give back. Go to blackbusinessgiveback.com because your business can win $6,000 worth of free commercial advertising Right here on The Truth, we support black businesses. Let's be clear. Black businesses are capitalism. You have the owner of the business. You got somebody in management in that business. And you have the people that are working and providing the labor in that business. It's the exact same thing. But we came to arrive at capitalism, at least in this country. We've arrived at capitalism in other countries because there's black folks all over the world, FYI. But for the most part, we have arrived at capitalism because we were the capital. That is why even when some slaves were freed, they bought slaves because people were the capital. And so what we just did is we just transformed our role and our definition through the Constitution. We're no longer three-fifths of a human being. So we went from being property to being able to own it, including being able to own other people because there were black people that owned slaves because that's just what the it called for at the time. That was the modality that existed. That's what you did. Successful people owned slaves. That's just, it was an inhumane. Yeah. Could you treat your slaves nicely? Yeah. But how nice could you really treat somebody who can't just walk away? You know what I mean? We are our capitalists because we used to be the capital and we just slightly transitioned as this country recognized that, oh, they're more than just property. They can actually talk and walk, and some of them can run fast and shoot basketballs and throw footballs. So we just transition from the being capital to being capitalist. And here's the difference with white folks. I'm not going to get too bogged down in the history, but I got a whole bunch of points that I got to make today, and y'all need to know some real foundational stuff. Otherwise, what I'm talking about in hour two and hour three ain't going to make no kind of sense. White people have never been capital in this country. Never. 
They sold their labor. They got paid for what they did. There was no white slavery. There was no, even if the, they came over as indentured servants, they were just paying for the cost of their transportation. They were still selling their labor. It's almost like they got a loan because the trip to America, I guess it was expensive. It took a bunch of weeks and you had to go on the water. And like back then they couldn't predict hurricanes. So sometimes the ships would flip over and you got to paddle to the land. I don't know what the hell they did back when they had hurricanes, but whatever. So when they, even when they came over as indentured servants, they still could leave and walk away, but they just had to pay the person that brought them over here. So they never were capital. They sold their labor to capitalists. You see the difference? We were capital. They owned us. We were as good as money. Do you know that Ivy League schools, would that they had resources in slaves? Like some of the endowments? Because you know when people, rich people die, they can leave their money to a whole bunch of different organizations and charities. That's why you see so many colleges and universities that have buildings named after people. Because those people would leave these things called endowments. Like, oh, I got 17 million billion dollars. When I die, boy, oh boy, I love the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee. I'm going to donate 37 million billion dollars to them. They'll name a library after me. That's an endowment. I take some of my estate and I give it to causes and charities that mean a lot to me. Do you know that some people in this country, like half the Ivy League schools, if not more than that, have endowments and slaves? Somebody was so in love with Harvard University and said, when I die, half of my slaves go to Harvard. Did you all know that? That's a real thing. We were capital. We were money. We were value. You had to buy us. We were auctioned off. White people don't have a history like that in this country. They always sold their labor to capitalists. We were sold as human beings to capitalists. Very, very different. So just imagine how separate our tracks and our trajectories are in this nation. We were capital. They have always been capitalists. And so now when we look at the modern world where we're focused on discrimination, we want laws to make everything fair and you got to give black people access, even though you don't want to, otherwise you get in trouble by the federal government. Kind of, I suppose if you get, you get caught discriminating. But I think as we continue to evolve, black people are starting to see the discrimination still exists everywhere and we're really digging in and seeing where it exists in the capitalist system because it's the transactions of money. And because you can judge us and keep us out based upon the color of our skin because we're easy to identify, then that racism and that bigotry is still going to exist. And so we see it in the capitalist system. But here's the other thing. I want you all to know that there's still discrimination even in the political parties. I don't want you all to think that, oh, if you're a black person, you're a Democrat, there's going to be less racism and less discrimination. It's less overt, but because these parties were created as instruments to control political power amongst themselves, like who like who gets the black people as the voters right now? Right now, the Democrats do. Therefore, there's more of a fundamental obligation for the Democratic Party to help black people, but only to the level in which we participate. That's the thing, because there's still racism in the parties and we have to fight it. But the thing about fighting racism in the Democratic Party is we can better extinguish it in that political apparatus by participating more because then they won't have a choice. Then all of their power is contingent upon our vote. You see what I mean? Hakeem Jeffries becoming the first black speaker of the House. To me, he's not. Well, he's he will be speaker when the Democrats get the majority and they'll have it in 2024. That will be bigger than Barack Obama's presidency. Mark my words, Hakeem Jeffries being speaker of the House. Now he's minority leader. But when he becomes speaker of the House, that will be bigger than two terms. Hell, that's bigger than three terms of Barack Obama. But we only got Obama for two, and then he left us. 
Obama doesn't really fool with us anymore, does he? Why isn't he traveling and doing book tours? I miss him. Would like to talk to him about things. I'm still trying to get him on this show. So you still have racism in the parties, but at least when it comes to politics, and this is why I get so frustrated with people that don't vote, because we have a real opportunity to be a dominant and assertive force in one political party versus the other. We will not be a dominant political force in the Republican Party because as time goes on, it is getting more white, more Christian, more conservative, and now it is overtly anti-woman. You can't get more anti-woman than this Republican Party. And to think that black folks are all of a sudden going to be recognized in that party, thumbs down. Tell you what, if you believe, because there's some people that think like, oh, we need to be you know, represented in all political parties. Cool. But if you are a black person and you're a Republican, they'll never nominate you for president. They'll never raise money for you. They'll never promote you. And if they do, you're going to be a damn Herschel Walker. You need to be clear about this. Only a particular kind of Negro could ever be favored by the Republican Party. And I'm just putting it out. It's not even biased toward the Republican Party, because if you talk to a Republican, it really opens up to you. They'll tell you. The only kind of Negro that could ever have any kind of status and or standing in the Republican Party is a Negro that would wear a Confederate flag. That Negro would say, oh, it's my heritage, too. That's the kind that they want. But guess what? Very few of us are like that. We can wrestle power from the white folks in the Democratic Party because they know demographically they're shrinking. Now we got some political agenda items that are in line with a whole bunch of different races. And so, therefore, they also can vote for Democrats because of a woman's right to choose and organize labor. And Democrats are much more likely to be environmentalists, et cetera, et cetera. But the Democrats don't win without the African-American vote. So we are as we are gaining population or more importantly, as white people are losing population, our strength becomes amplified, meaning our percentages of voters need to go up. And we analyzed that a couple of days ago, that the number of us that are functionally illiterate impacts our voter turnout, right? So in more literate counties, voter turnout averages about 73, 74%, where literacy levels are lower. Voter, black voter turnout averages about 53%. You see that? So if we just invest in education, which we have to use the Democratic Party to even have the conversation of investing in education, we will become more robust voters. We become more robust voters. We have more political power. We allow someone like Hakeem Jeffries, when he becomes Speaker of the House, to control the federal legislative agenda. I will argue that a Speaker of the House who's got a majority of the members in the House of Representatives, and then if you're really lucky, you get a majority of your party in the U.S. Senate, you have more power than the president. President can't even declare war without y'all. Can you imagine that? Barack Obama couldn't declare war on anybody without getting congressional approval. He could, like, bomb stuff. He could go to another country and just, like, break stuff. Couldn't go to war with another country. Hakeem Jeffries, when he becomes Speaker of the House, will be more powerful, assuming he gets a Democratic majority in the Senate, and I think we'll have that, too. All the Republicans are just imploding. we got to take advantage of this moment because this is a place in which we can make real racial progress. So I'm going to take a break. Come back. Going to talk about how black people see the racism in capitalism and socialism just looks more attractive. But I have to warn of the pitfalls of that, because whenever we see this current system, right, when we, when we look at it objectively, like, oh, this is capitalist 
system here and it's very, very racist. Hmm. Let's try an alternative because we could say, well, capitalism doesn't work for black people. Because how do you go from being capital because we were owned, we were bought, we were sold, we were auctioned off to then being capitalist? It seems like that whole system is inherently racist, right? Because we started as actual capital. And so maybe socialism looks a little bit more attractive, but it really isn't because racism can still exist in a socialist system, too. So if we think trade and capitalism for socialism will give us a reprieve on discrimination, oh, contraire, mon frere, you would be wrong. But we're going to talk about it. Don't worry about it. I got a phone number here if you want to get some. 833-212-1017, Black people inherently are not we're not socialists. We're not. We just need a type of capitalism that respects us as capitalists and not just sees us as posers that used to be capital. Don't worry. It's going to make sense. The truth with Sherwin Hughes will be right back. It's the truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, the truth app and 1017thetruth.com. Black Americans have long had significantly lower wages and household wealth than white Americans. The roots of these inequities trace back to the central role slave labor once played in the nation's economic system and the subsequent segregation and discrimination in labor markets. Today, most black adults say the U.S. economic system does not treat black people fairly. Look, hey, you're right, it doesn't. But there's a lot of stuff in the United States that doesn't treat us fairly. But today, I'm really going to focus on how we are harmed by capitalism, but we're harmed in a whole bunch of other regards as well. So even if we change, so capitalism is a modality. I need y'all to be familiar with that term. It's an economic modality. Socialism is also an economic modality. Big differences is in a socialist system, the government controls the means of production. They control who can buy the land, sell the land, own the land. Technically, there's no private property in the socialist system. It's all government. It's all, quote, publicly owned. But if we still have a role of electing our leaders, then nobody owns private property. It's all collectively owned. Communism and socialism are very similar. Similar. Communism, everything is communal. Everybody makes 50 grand. Everybody has free college. Everybody has free health care. But you're going to be a butcher. You're going to be a baker. You're going to be a candlestick maker because we need everyone to operate based upon the needs in our society. Right. Like you may have dreams and hopes of being an artist, but now we need bakers. So you're just going to be a baker. You may have a, a dreams of being an architect. Well, you can't be an architect because we need you to pave the street. So you're going to be a street paver. That's what happens in a communal society. Not everybody gets the same thing. There's no discrimination. There's no racism. There's no classism because there's no classes. We're all the same. We all make the same money. We're all seen for our humanity and our collective contribution to making a society work. One of the benefits to a communist society like Cuba's got some of the highest literacy rates on the planet. But I mean, that's about it. And they make a good cigar, apparently. 
but it can be corrupted as well. So even if we had that system, because a lot of times communist countries are still homogeneous when it comes to race, unless they're Latin American countries where they see race a little bit differently than us. But we would still have some kind of discrimination, even if we divorced ourselves from capitalism. And there's a number of socialists who are actually getting elected. We got one, Darren Madison. He represents the 10th Assembly District. It's a north side neighborhood in pieces of Shorewood. Ryan Clancy, a county board member. I would say that Marina Dmitrievich, councilwoman, Jonathan Brossoff, they flirt with socialism. David Bowen, if he gets elected to the first common council seat, which eh, I don't know if you will, he might join into that that class of people who are who want to do away with capitalism because they see it as inherently racist. But any system that we replace it with in this country will be inherently racist, too. So we can say, oh, there's racism and capitalism because they don't give us money. And I got a whole another story here that I'm going to dig into how they devalue our property. Like the cornerstone of American capitalism is owning a home because owning a home is a way in which you can print your own money. But what happens is when a black person lives in that that property, its value appreciates less. In fact, it's starting devalued because a black person is in it. And that's the cornerstone of capitalism because that's a piece of capitalism that everybody can grab on to for the most part. It's easy to get a house if you have a handful of things in order. Like you don't have to be rich and have to make a whole bunch of money. But capitalism and home ownership really do go hand in hand because your house appreciates in value. It gets capital gains, right? You can take that money, you can invest it, you can pay off debt, you can send your kids to college, et cetera, et cetera. But if you're devaluing black property, which is a cornerstone of individual capitalism in this country, you can see the racism that exists in that home ownership, which is capitalism. Right. Okay. Today, most black adults say the U.S. economic system does not treat black people fairly. And though they are increasingly dissatisfied with capitalism, most black adults say supporting black businesses will help achieve equality, according to a recent Pew Research Center survey. In August of last year, 54 percent of black adults say they had a very or somewhat negative impression of capitalism. That's up from 40 percent. From May of 2019, four in 10 black adults held a very or somewhat positive view in cap of capitalism in 2022, down from 57 percent in 2019. Views of capitalism also grew more negative among other racial and ethnic groups during this period. But the movement was particularly pronounced amongst black Americans. In fact, the 2022 survey found that black adults were the only racial or ethnic group more likely to view capitalism more negatively than positively, and also the only group more likely to view socialism more positively at 52% than negatively at 42%. Because we believe that socialism will be inherently less, less racist. I don't see any evidence of that. Because racism exists and bigotry exists, And prejudice exists and discrimination exists in every single facet of America. So even if we changed our modality to cap from capitalist to something much more communal, much more social, like socialism. Unless you're going to give us free health care. Right. Then, okay, we will embrace that socialism because we've already experimented with free health care, whether you know it or not. The agenda of Medicare for all 
is slowly being experimented with amongst the American people. So we had a pandemic where people needed free health care resources. You needed PPE. You needed vaccines and all the things that went into that vaccine distribution, even the test kits. Do y'all know how many COVID tests this country probably went through over the last three years? Somebody paid for those. Somebody had to manufacture those. But I never paid for a damn COVID test. Maybe some of y'all paid for a COVID test. But every COVID test I ever took was free of charge. Every vaccine I got free of charge. Every boost free of charge to me. Somebody paid for. It. I mean, ultimately the taxpayers did. But that was basically free healthcare, right? Just imagine if you went to the doctor, just like you went to go get a COVID test, because you never had to pay money or pay a copay to go get tested for COVID, right? So just imagine there was no COVID and you just were going to the doctor and getting medicine, which would, in the case of the pandemic was a vaccine, but it could be diabetes or high blood pressure, whatever you're on medications for, and you don't pay for it because everything was free. There was no cash outlay immediately from people who were receiving medical services via the pandemic. Unless you were in an emergency room, then it was different. But that was an experiment of free healthcare. I think I may have purchased masks once early, early on when I realized that the entire world was requiring us to mask up. And there was actually a shortage of them. I bought like a 50 pack of the blue surgical masks on Amazon. But that was it. Other than that, masks were free. Hell, they're still free. Just grab a handful of them. Some places still have masks out. So that was an experiment in free healthcare. So if we're going to go down a socialist route, because black people are now starting to see the capitalism now, I shouldn't say now starting to see. We've always seen it. But now it's just much more glaring because we look at all the different disparities that we have, especially amongst wealth. People can say, see, capitalism screwed black folks because look at the wealth disparity. And so us as black people wanting to divorce ourselves from that makes a lot of sense because all the disparities that we talk about, most of them are financial. Some are educational, but a lot of it is just money. And we talk about intergenerational wealth, which is a bit of a misnomer. It, it is, because even when we create intergenerational wealth, I'm not really crazy about the term. It's like a buzz term. It's a buzzword. Like everything, that's another buzz term. Everybody gets triggered. Do you know that there's a college that's trying to ban the use of the term trigger because it reminds them of a gun trigger, and they say even being triggered sounds like violence? I swear this country is nuts. Or what's another one? Uh, trauma. Everybody's, it's all the, the trauma. Oh, tell me about the trauma. I had so much trauma. Oh, really? What happened today? I spilled my coffee. It was trauma. Intergenerational wealth is another one of those buzz terms. I mean, I use it because it's in the damn scripts that I read. But even if black people enter into the realm of home ownership, depends on where you move to. And maybe you buy your house from a black person. Maybe. Or maybe you move to the suburb, purchase your house from a white person. But you also can purchase your house from a white person in the city, too. They have more equity than you. They're selling the house to you. When they bought the house, they bought it cheaper than they're selling it to you. They may make $100,000 in equity, in capital gains on selling you the house. You don't have $100,000 in equity in that house. You don't have $100,000 of equity in that house until you stay in it for 30 years. They're getting their equity right now. So they have a 30-year head start. And see, herein lies the difference. They sell the house to you. They bought the house for one fifty. 
You buy the house for two fifty. It's a very nice house. You're okay paying two fifty for the house, but they're walking away with one hundred thousand dollars. You may sell that house you bought for two fifty for three fifty. Can't sell it for three fifty for thirty years. So now the white folks got a thirty year head start and they got a hundred thousand dollars in their pocket. But here's what they do with it: they take that hundred thousand dollars that they made by selling you the house. Because remember, they bought the house at one fifty. You bought the house at two fifty. They're walking away with a hundred G's. They're going to invest that money. They're going to flip that money. They're going to buy more property with that money. They're going to buy more assets with that money. They're going to buy more T-bills with that money. They're going to buy more bonds with that money. So even when you get your 100000 because remember, they bought the house for one fifty. You bought the house from them for two fifty. They walked away with $100,000. You sell your house after you pay it off. You sell the house for Three fifty, so you got your hundred thousand dollars. Their hundred thousand dollars has now turned to one point one million. You got a hundred thousand disparity. Did that make? I hope that made sense, y'all. I could not explain that more clearly. They buy the house for one hundred fifty thousand dollars, stay there for thirty years, sell it to you for two fifty right now. You stay there for thirty years, you sell it for three fifty. Thirty years ago, they got one hundred thousand dollars from selling you that house. They took that $100,000 and they invested it smartly. That's why we talk about financial literacy. They, as a matter of culture, know what to do with money. That is how they maintain their wealth. So that still maintains the wealth inequality, the wealth disparity, because they had the benefit of home ownership for longer periods of time because we were discriminated against. So that is their head start And that's not going away anytime soon. So what the government tries to do, mostly one political party, they're saying, look, we know that these white folks who had the benefit of home ownership in this country for like 100 years longer than black people did. Because, you know, originally banks did not want to get into what is called consumer lending. Banks never wanted to give mortgages to individual people. They didn't because they thought we were too bad of a risk because the banks were like, yo, what if they don't pay the mortgages? And the banks didn't want to own all the property because then they'd have to sell it. Like, that's a headache. They got to cut the grass and do all that, shovel the snow. Banks are terrible landlords because they don't want to be in that business. So the federal government came in under FDR and said, look, banks, I know you don't want to give mortgages to individual people because they might be a credit risk. And the federal government said, we'll back the mortgage. If they don't pay it back, we'll back it. And the banks was like, cool. But there's a caveat. And the banks were like, ah, we don't want to give mortgages to everybody, even though it is backed by the federal government. We don't want to give mortgages to black people. You know what the federal government said under FDR? They're like, cool. If that's the compromise, that's the compromise. So only white people can benefit from home ownership. Fast forward, I don't know, a generation or so, Fair Housing Act. Now black people can buy homes in neighborhoods where we were traditionally kept out of, outside of the red line of the red line. Okay, But the white people had already purchased those homes and had equity built in. So when they sold the properties to us, they're selling their properties to us at a profit. Instantaneously, when you buy a house, you got debt. We're in debt by buying the house. Now, your house is going to appreciate in value, but they made their profit on the day that you bought the house. You got put into debt. And with that profit, they maintained their economic advantage over us. And so the government has said, look, we've had a couple of generations of this, of white folks selling their houses, making profit, selling them to black families who were kept out of home ownership. We got to close the gap by taxing some of that profit. It's called capital gains, and it's taxed, but it's taxed at a rate that's about half of what your income is taxed at. So even when we're trying to wrestle some of that wealth away from folks who were permitted to own homes and build equity, 
even the tax rate on that money is lower. All right, I'm going to take a break. Come back. Oh, look, it's Bob. Bob, you are not playing the saxophone today. Just FYI. You're listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on the new 101.7 FM talking about black folks and capitalism. We're going to further develop this conversation on the other side. I'll be right back. This is The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 101.7 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. Welcome back. So because real estate, the whole idea of it in the entire industry and the capital gains that people make from being homeowners, because I'm listen, I'm over here telling y'all to become homeowners, but I need to tell y'all the rest of the story. Now, I want you to own a house, but I also need you to be very realistic about what is happening, because we always talk about the disparities that exist in wealth. When you purchase a home, for, it can be another black person because black people have wealth inequality amongst them too. Do you guys know that? There's poor black people and not poor black people. The not poor black people more often than not probably have home ownership somewhere. They own property. They own real estate. They own their own home. And when they sell that home to another black family, that black family that's buying the house is now in debt via the amount of the mortgage. The black family that's selling that house is now in the profit, they're in the black, pun intended. They're, they've made profit. You buy the house, you're in debt, but only for a little bit. Just pay the house off real fast, or maybe the neighborhood you moved into is going to appreciate. But when you get a mortgage, like you, you got to be clear, like that's debt. And not all debt is bad. But the person that's selling you the house has made, has made profit. So we have created income inequality right there. Problem is, when a lot of black folks, not all, but some, when a lot of black folks sell their homes, they don't know how to properly invest the capital gains they made from selling the house. Some of y'all just go buy a Mercedes. Some of y'all, maybe you buy another house or better yet, some of y'all go rent and you just spend the capital gains on renting, making somebody else rich. But because there's there's so much tied into owning a home, whether it be the asset increase in value that you can get or stabilizing a neighborhood, whatever. But there's also racism built into that system as well. I mean, it is the source of income inequality. Real estate agents are like the overseers of the system that creates and maintains wealth inequality in this country. And I'm going to be honest with you, and I know it might be some real estate people that are out there listening. They are shady, shysty, slimy. They even try to have this thing called dual agency where they represent you, the home buyer and the home seller literally cannot exist. It literally, you cannot represent two conflicting parties at the same time, but they tell you that they can't. Oh, they're so shady. Do you realize that white flight was a concept manufactured by real estate speculators? I'm telling y'all, they are shysty. They're shady. We used to talk about used car salespeople being shysty and shady. No, it's the real estate agent. 
I don't know, pick your city, pick your metro area. Let's go back to, let's say, 1947, 1948, even before we had fair housing legislation, then continue it until we did get fair housing legislation in 1968. White neighborhood, close proximity, uh, northern white neighborhood, maybe in uh, near Cincinnati, Ohio, maybe just outside of Shaker Heights. Black folks wanting to get away from the Jim Crow South, wanted to come north, get union jobs, get good wages, get the manufacturing jobs, those Warehouse jobs, you see. The South doesn't have an industry for black people. Like, we used to be the biggest industry in the South. And then when we no longer were capital, then the South was like, well, we don't know what to do now. We ain't got no job down here. All our job based on Negroes. So black folks were like, well, we going to get on out of here. And so we went up north. There were neighborhoods that African-Americans could afford to live in with our union jobs, with our factory jobs, with our manufacturing plant jobs, with the trades that we were skilled at. And so the real estate speculators would go to white neighborhoods and say, look, the blacks are coming. Your property value is going to go down, which actually is true. But they created that system. Nobody's property ever needs to be devalued because of the race of the person that lives there. But here's what's crazy. You devalue the property value, like the, the amount the property is worth, and you also devalue the psyche of the people that live in that neighborhood. Oh, my God, it's a perfect system. It's almost like it was designed in a laboratory. So the real estate speculators like, look, we know you all are homeowners and you want to maintain your property values because you are counting on the asset appreciation of your home, maybe for your retirement, to pay for your kid's college, to start a business, whatever. So this could be 1950, let's say. Real estate speculators say, look, your house is currently worth $15,000. When the blacks move in, it's going to be worth $7,500. If you don't believe me, just wait till they get here. Whole neighborhood is going to be devalued. House is worth $15,000 right now. When the blacks move in, oh, and they're coming, your house is going to be worth $7,500. Real estate speculators say, you know what? I'll give you ten grand right now. Give you ten, you, you, listen, you can, you can wait. And have your house be worth $7,500. And I'm using like real dollar amounts for what houses were worth at the time. Whole bunch of different real estate speculators. But look, it's the same people that are sending us text messages now. Hey, you still interested in selling your property or whatever, whatever, even though you express no interest in selling your property? Same shiesty, dirty. I want to cuss so bad, but I can't cuss because people get mad at me here. Y'all wouldn't get mad at me, but they would, the people listening, they'd be all, Sherwin's cussing. You can't say that, Sherwin. Real estate speculator said, look, um, house is worth 15 G's. The blacks are going to come in. House is not going to be worth 7,500. I'll give you 10,000 right now, but then here's the kicker. Okay. Ooh, this is so sweet how they did it. They said, okay, so you got to vacate this near north side neighborhood. Do y'all know that the north side neighborhoods that is almost exclusively black used to be exclusively German about, what, 70, 80 years ago? It was all white neighborhood. MPS was a white school district. It was all white. I look at some of these old-time Milwaukee groups, and I hear these white folks talking about, well, we used to walk to the park on 8th and Burley and 15th and Valite, and, oh, they had the deli and the bakery on 9th and Locust. I'm like, yo, y'all would never even come back to that neighborhood to visit now. So the real estate speculators say, look, houses worth 15. Blacks are going to come in, going to be worth 7,500. I'll give you 10 grand right now. Okay, And then with 
whatever little bit of equity that you're going to make from that. I got this property for sale out here in Brown Deer, in Mequon, in South Milwaukee. Oh, no, no. These beautiful suburban areas, it's not even developed yet. So why don't you leave this north side neighborhood? Because, you know, the blacks are going to be moving in. They're going to devalue your north side property. Why don't you go out to one of these new subdivisions in the suburbs and I'll sell you that land or I'll sell you that house. My white folks were like, oh, well, I guess because I, there was no, you know, y'all know this. There was no fear of living next to black people until real estate speculators connected us moving in with devaluing white property. That's why they left when we came up here from the south. Now, of course, there's going to be pockets of racism, but here's the thing. The black folks that came up here from the South worked at Patrick Cudahy with the white folks they were living next to. They worked at A.O. Smith with the white folks they were living next to. Their kids went to the same damn schools. They live right next to each other. They work together. Hell, their wives were even friends. But when the real estate speculators came and said, your property is going to be valued less the more blacks that move into this neighborhood, the white folks were like, see, it wouldn't want to be. We're out of here because they don't want their investments being messed with. They don't want to lose the value of their property. And so I've always had this thing for real estate agents because they're still shady. They're still shisty. Like there's this, this film of immorality on all of them. Some have more film than others. Let's talk to Bob. I got to make this quick. What's on your mind, Bob? Oh, well, uh, you talked about capitalism in the beginning and, don't you think middle class, I think middle class, we stress that and extend it out and you can still have capitalism, although racism is in capitalism. But if you extend the middle class, you know, uh, we can keep capitalism. We got to have a middle class first, Bob. There used to be a middle class. The labor class, the union members, the factory workers, the skills trades people, middle class is shrinking, Bob. Right now you got a bunch of have-nots and you got a bunch of haves. The middle is disappearing. Okay. Bob, are you rich? No, no, no. How much money you got, Uh, Bob? Oh, not that much. You know, I can't even buy neck bones because of Tory Lowe. But recently, I, I did buy some neck bones. What Tory Lowe got to do and, with your uh, neck bones, man? And Miss Brown, uh, that's his co-host, I think. Yeah, she called me a fool, and and which is okay, you know, because... Uh, Hold on, she called you a what now? What she call you? She called me a fool. That's okay. Because uh, my, the way my father was, I'm still in the mentality of sticks and stones. But the only thing that I need to announce the fact is that she did say elders need to die off. And you Wait, know, you Elizabeth Brown about- said, Bob, hang on a second. I got to take a break. Don't go anywhere. I just don't. Just hang on. <laughs> don't, hold on. Carrie, you think Liz, Liz Brown, I mean, I could see her calling him a fool. I mean, hell, I call him a one-armed bandit like a slot machine because he only got one good arm, but I never called the man a fool. All right, I'm going to take a little break, come back and talk to Bob, we won't have much time, will we? Well, we'll figure it out. The truth was sure when he was to be back in, I don't know, like two minutes. You are listening to The Truth with Sherwin Hughes on 1017 The Truth, The Truth app, and 1017thetruth.com. All right, let's 
we gotta figure this out. So wait a second, Bob. Liz calls you a fool. What did you do? Because you be saying stuff wait, sometimes, Bob. What did you say to get her to call I, you a can fool? Can I can I can I finish? And yes. if you let me finish, okay. Low uh Terry Lowe is Tory. cordial. Wait a minute. See, they interrupted me again. It's Tory. Oh, okay. Was very cordial with me when I came up to him to disagree with him on certain things about Biden and what have you, you know. And uh, also, Miss Brown says, you know, the elders need to die off. Now, that's the only thing I'm worried about with her. See, black men got to understand we have to take in all negativity and come out with common sense. That's what we have to do, whether it's black women, white men, or white women, whatever. And so what I need to tell you is that that uh, racism causes blacks to go in many different directions. You know, and a white guy came up to me and said, you like Clarence Thomas? I mean, yeah. I mean, he said, you like Jesse Jackson? I said, yeah. You like Clarence Thomas? Yeah. How do you like both of them? I said, well, I'm thinking Clarence Thomas might be for affirmative action one day. I don't have time to be calling him Uncle Tom or knocking him negatively, you know. And, uh, you know, uh, the major fact is watch what you say is going to die because you might be writing your own epitaph. So, you know, we're about... Elders need to die off. That's, that, that's all. But other than I'm a fool, man, my father said, man, my, it, it, stick, it, it sticks in my mind like sticks and stones to break my bones. I know words are supposed to hurt you. They sharper than any two-edged sword, but not to me. You know, words don't be, I'm, you know. And, you know, and uh, I wouldn't say she's that. And that's just because racism causes blacks to go in many different directions. And we have to, we can't have things right now. We just can't. What, I'm going to go into, I told Tory Lowe, I'm going to go into a police officer and say, we're going to change or else I'm going to tear this place up. They're laughing me and putting me under the jail. You know, so that's about it. Uh, and it's, you know, you know, that's about it, I got to say. And, 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 and Ms. Brown is cool. He's cool, you know. What my father has raised me, I mean, said to me and said, you know, he didn't have to whoop me, except that I got seven stitches one time in my lip. <laughs> Other than that, he never whooped me or nothing. He, he didn't have to because I was a good boy. Okay. All the way up. I'll talk to you now. You, you know, that's about it. You waiting on uh, me to say know, something, Bob. I ain't got nothing to say to you. I know you don't have oh 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 oh. He, he, here's one last point. In order for me, see, you left it on me. Uh, you know, I don't mind a Tory if you play your sax or Tory. Well, listen, it's, it's it's left up to me. Here's how it's going to be. Uh, 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 I come down Monday morning like I do. If 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 uh, Ms. Brown comes on your show for ten or five minutes, no, no, huh. and no, 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 I'm, no, just no, saying, no. I'm just saying, well, well then I, I figure she never do that, no, no. and then I'm just not gonna play on Tory Lowe's show. Okay. I, I don't. We, we, we gotta leave it there, Bob. No 
We gonna leave. I don't want to have no D minus. I don't want to have no D minus on my show anyway. <laughs> All right, Bob. All right. Truth for sure. When he was, we'll be right back. Good God.